Hello and welcome once again to Rasslin Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. You can check us out online at radionorthland.org if you're outside the FM dial. You can check us out worldwide. You can also check uh, that place to find past episodes on our SoundCloud. I'll link you up to our SoundCloud page. We're also available live and in the moment on TuneIn Radio. So we got a couple of different options for you to check us out here on this edition. And boy, it's just, this is not just your ordinary run-of-the-bill edition of Rasslin' Memories. This is kind of a further extension on something I got started here uh, two weeks ago uh, with a guest that... Another guest of ours uh, I talked with about a few months back. So this is kind of the thing that's been brewing and gradually and gradually and we we're finally able to make this happen. And today we're going to we're going to pay tribute to the job men, the guys who put over the big superstars uh, that you remember, the Hall of Fame guys they talk about and they show the video highlights of and they have ad nauseum online. No, we're going to talk about the guys who made them good, the guys who did the job, the enhancement players. And I've got three great ones who uh, I remember growing up watching AWA. I remember these guys taking on all comers, you know, coming out on the short end. But you know what? The thing was, they made a lot of the great guys look even better. We're talking. We're going to talk with three of them today. And the guy who really kind of got it started for me, we're going to kind of have him come in right away, is uh, Chris Curtis. We're going to go by the wrestler names today uh, for all three of our guests. But Chris Curtis, who I just had on the program two weeks ago to promote his book, Job Man, My Life in Professional Wrestling, uh, out now by uh, Wisconsin Historical Society Press. Chris, uh, before we signed off on our interview here recently, we talked a little bit about uh, something that you were getting going, a special event uh, in the the Twin Cities area, uh, specifically in St. Paul. Uh, we're just a few days shy of this uh, event. Can you tell us and give us some updates on uh, what's going on with the show, what people can expect here on uh, this uh, coming Wednesday, I do believe. Uh, yes, and welcome, Chris Curtis, to, back to Rasslin' Memories Then and Now. Hey, guys. How you doing? Thank you. Um, what it is, is uh, it's uh, December 11th. It's at the, uh, the History Theater in downtown St. Paul going to be from 7.30 to about 8.30. Um, and uh, Wisconsin Historical Press got this rolling and they just been, they're like a booker. All they do is they, they get things going. They call me and say, you know, can you make it? And obviously, uh, you know, I'm going to, but we got a really good one. It's going to be uh, Baron Von Raschke, Steve Olsonowski, and Kenny J and myself and um there's going to be a a host from uh, a local uh radio station kfan who's going to MC the event and um it's it's free free admission they're going to uh, have uh concessions and the guys are going to be selling their pictures and and anything that they have and then we'll have uh we'll have the book for sale but it's going to be a lot of fun because I haven't seen these guys in well, Baron, I held a card back in uh, Milwaukee, and Baron was good enough to show up. That was about maybe twenty some years ago. But uh, Steve and Kenny, I haven't seen in over thirty years. But I thought it would be really a lot of fun to get those guys. And you know, Kenny is—he's he's probably the uh, the most best uh, known job man in the AWA. He's kind of like the crusher of job men up there. They they love him. Uh, just like they love the crusher down here. So we are super excited. Um, we can't wait to, uh, and there's going to be questions from the audience. It'll be just a lot of fun, a lot of fun stories from the past of the AWA. 
It sounds like a great event down there. I wish I, I, I was going to be uh, in the area, but I will be out. Of, I will be out of the state, so I hope uh, you get a good crowd and a good buzz. But that we we just got that out of the way. But we were kind of talking about this idea online about you know, hey, let's do another show. And I was kicking around this idea here for a while about getting a couple of you guys, uh, some of the uh, the job men together, and have kind of a group conversation. But I guess Chris, th- today's the day. I, I didn't think we'd ever come to this, but we definitely uh, are finally here. Well, I'm, I'm really happy because, um, um, you know, Tom was instrumental in not only getting myself, but a lot of the guys started in, in, uh, in the business, um, and getting us to where we were at, um, you know, the AWA, the world wrestling federation, uh, St. Louis, Kansas city. Um, he got me down in mid South, um, he was very instrumental in, uh, in, in, in paving the way for us to, you know, to make our dreams come true and, and getting into the big time. And, uh, I'll never forget it. And I'll always be, uh, you know, grateful for, for what he's done for me in my career. And yes, uh, for the very first time, we're going to welcome to Rasslin Memories then and now, and we're going to have him share his story here shortly after we get all our introductions out of the way. It's uh, his first time, and uh, and thank you. Uh, we're going to use his wrestling name for this edition. I've watched him for many years. His name is Tom Rocky Stone. Tom, thank you so much for uh, joining our uh, roundtable discussion on this edition. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an absolute honor and a privilege to have you on. And we're going to welcome the third person before we get to uh, to Tom and kind of tying all of this together. Uh, he's been a guest on the program. In fact, we had a great chat, uh, our first and one and only time that we've, we've done some uh, work here on the program together. We've done some chatting offline as well. And he was the second guy out of the three that I had been proposing this idea of getting uh, a couple of you guys together to share your stories and to uh, have some fun, you know, and, and get together. It's it's always fun to uh, get you guys, the job men together, but it wouldn't have been possible too without uh, your help in, in, in some way, shape, or form to help kind of get the idea off the ground. He wrestled uh, under various names, but for this edition, we're going to give him his AWA enhancement handle, Mike Richards. And you're in Florida too, man. Lucky bugger. Yeah, it's a little chilly here, 72, so I'm uh, hating life right now. I, I, I feel sorry for you guys up there. Um, I wanted to also say the same thing that Chris had said about Tom Stone, that, uh, I don't think people realize that how much he influenced all the Midwest guys, especially the Wisconsin guys. I mean, he booked us all over and if it wasn't for him, none, I, who's to say, but I don't think any of us would have had any was near the careers we had. So definitely glad you got him on here. It's just long overdue. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? I think we should get right into it. Uh, we got to get into the talking and I want to bring Tom right into the conversation because, you know, again, you guys, uh, both Chris and, and Mike uh, had definitely some words of high praise and, and, and just gratefulness uh, for, for uh, Tom in your role in their lives in professional wrestling and uh, you're you're helping them out getting them going to these tapings but i want to talk about how you broke into the pro wrestling business because we got to kind of start with your story so we can blend into the other stories so uh talk about how a, a young tom stone tom rocky stone or steve hall before that uh, broke into the pro wrestling business well i got started because my dad was the ring announcer in milwaukee and so i got to go to the matches Thought it looked really neat. Uh, then I found out they were running small shows in the south side of Milwaukee. Uh, went down and met those guys. And by the second show, I was actually booking their cards. Uh, 
<laughs> then I met Frank Hill, who later became Jules Strongbow. Uh, and Frank is actually the one who got me my first matches uh, in one of the, you know, in the big time territories. He sent me to St. Louis uh, to work for Pat O'Connor on TV and wrestling with the chase. And that's a legendary very uh, venue when we talk pro wrestling. I mean, St. Louis was, you know, later it was part more of the central states, but for the most part, for a lot of those big years, St. Louis was a standalone. So uh, I could talk about what, what, what that was like to be on that legendary television program for that first time. And then the occasional appearances you were able to make at their uh, big, big arenas like the Keel. Well, the first time I was on TV there, I actually worked with Gary Young and Dan Diamond. And they beat the crap out of me. Uh, I probably ended up taking 15 backdrops in one match. And if anyone's ever worked on the chase ring, it was harder than the cement in the road. Ouch. It was terrible. And uh, I was never beaten up as badly as I was in that match. And then the following match, when I got upstairs, Pat O'Connor said, you're working with Brody. Uh, who immediately said, Bruiser Brody said to me, he said, uh, in case I can't thank you afterwards, let me thank you now. Uh, which was not you real did that with everybody. Uh, but actually, Frank was a pretty good guy, and I got to know him pretty well. Uh, he didn't beat me up nearly as bad as the two young guys. And then later on, Frank got me booked in Minneapolis. And uh, But Frank Hill actually got me started working in those territories. And you also, uh, you know, did some work uh, around the state, around the Midwest uh, for, for other, now they call them independent companies, before you, you know, and maybe during your AWA run. What other promoters did you work for or who were around in that area? Because, I mean, you got to get a little bit more seasoning, I suppose, uh, working some of those uh, shows, as well as some of the great uh, stuff that you had in the AWA and, of course, uh, down there in St. Louis. There were really only a couple of guys running locally at that time. Uh I was running shows. Uh, Tony Leone ran a couple of shows down in uh, Kenosha and Racine. Uh, that was really, we were the only ones running, you want to call it outlaw at the time. And now you, you're you going now to these AWA tapings. Uh, uh, you know, what was that feeling like to, to, to be able to now, you know, you're, you're wrestling and you're cutting your teeth on this stuff. Now you're getting, uh, you know, driving down to Minneapolis. You're, you're working these tapings and you're going to be on TV around the loop. So now there's a little bit more awareness to you. But what can you remember your impressions of going to those uh, first round of tapings uh, with Frankie Hill? Well, I, don't even, I mean, the first matches I had there... My my first match was the only time that Greg and Vern were a team on TV. They had me and Herman Schaefer against the two of them. Uh, I don't remember a lot about any of those matches anymore. I remember my third match was against Vern, and actually they thought he was mad at me. I don't think he was. Uh, I think he was just selling very well. Uh but other than that, I don't remember. They all kind of blur together at this point. 
Mm, yeah, I suppose. And, uh, you know, it was during this year, you're doing the shows, but you're also doing some training. And this is where we're going to bring in uh, Chris Curtis. And, and you and Chris can kind of start talking, or I should uh, hand over to Chris, about the the, the, the time you, first, you guys first met uh, and how you became involved in the development of Chris's career and getting him some sh- uh, shots with the AWA. So I'm going to let Chris take over and you guys can get to talking. Yeah, you know, I, the first time I ever met Tom was... Uh, uh, there was a little pool room uh, it was closed and they had a ring. It was down in the south, lower south side of Milwaukee. And, and uh, uh, I used to ride with Herman Schaefer to go down there. And then uh, actually what I used to do was I, I took two buses. Um, I was going to school part-time and I took two buses down there. And uh, then Herman would give me a ride home where everyone saw he he, he, you know, he give me a ride there and back. But, uh, um, Tom was, uh, he was the trainer and I'll tell you what, um, we worked on falls. That's all we did was we all, we just worked on falls for probably two hours. Uh, we learned how to take, uh, uh front rolls, um, uh, fireman's carries, that kind of thing. Uh, beal throws, um, flying mares, that kind of stuff. And it was all fundamental. And we did that day after day after day. And you had to learn how to fall. And um, so that was five days a week, five, six days a week sometimes. And then finally, um, you start learning how to you know work a little bit. You start learning some uh, theory and that type of thing. And, uh, but in the, the meantime, then, then what would happen was they were running a little, uh, outlaw show at a place called Federation Hall. And, uh, that's where a lot of us worked. And, um, it was a great learning experience because you learn how to work in front of a crowd. The crowd wasn't that big. You might have a hundred people, 200 people. It was on a Sunday afternoon, every couple of weeks. And, um, eventually um, he asked if I wanted to, he thought I was ready because he wasn't going to send me anywhere because if Pat O'Connor or Bob Geigel or, or Vern, if you, if you brought somebody up there that wasn't ready, um, not only would the guy, let's say me would get a lot of heat, but the guy who would bring up the guy who was not ready would also get a lot of heat. And, uh, so I, um, he asked if I wanted to go to St. Louis, but I injured my heel really bad at a show that, that we had, um, I forgot my boots at home. So I wrestled barefoot and <laughs> I took a backdrop and I smashed my heel and it, and I bruised it really bad and, and they were going to go do TV the following week. So I had to rest up. I only had a heel for about another month or so. And then I was ready. And in March of 79, um, I went up there to Minneapolis and it was so funny because he took his van and you get all meet at a, at a hotel and we pile into the van and my first time up and I'll, I'll never forget. He says, uh, he says, okay, do you want to keep your last name? And I, uh, my real last name was Malter. And I said, no, because back at the time you had phone books. And people could look in the phone book, find out where you live. I want my house burned down. 
from my parents. So I changed it to Curtis. And I, he said, well, where do you want to come from? And so I'm thinking, uh, we're gonna, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I was Chris Curtis from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for the first number of months. And then after that, I changed it to Oklahoma City for the rest of my career. And uh, got up there. First match was I was I was teamed up with with Tom, and it was uh, against uh, the Flyers, Ganyan Brunzel. And there you go. Tom, do you want to add a, a little bit uh, about the, the, those days uh, w- w- with Chris and, and, and traveling uh, with him uh, to his, some of his first shows? Well, I'll be honest. I didn't remember that we ever wrestled. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Greg and Jim, uh, he has a much better memory than I do. I mean, I remember traveling with Chris, and we went to St. Louis one time. And coming back, he was we were sitting in the back seat of the car, and... Uh, he started to fall asleep just as we were getting off the freeway. So I chopped him as hard as I could <laughs> and he woke up and it was the funniest sight. Cause he's in the back seat trying to find the wheel thinking he was driving and that we were <laughs> veering to the right going off the freeway. Uh, <laughs> it's after 30 years, it's still one of the funniest memories of traveling. Uh, there was another time we went through Des Moines and I looked at him, it was two in the morning and I looked and said, how fast are you going? And it was the old speedometer where there actually was a speedometer only you couldn't see it. So we were going well over 120 through downtown Des Moines, uh, when our fuzz buster went off and Chris started sliding sideways down the highway. Uh, and the even funnier part later on in that trip, one of the other guys got a speeding ticket for going 10 over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was, that was, that was Woody, Woody Wilson. And and it was so funny because, uh, um, I think we were going to Kansas city or something and, um, we got stopped and it was Memorial day weekend. And, uh, so the trooper says to Woody, he says, uh, he kind of looked like the trooper from, uh, um, uh, the cannonball run. And he says, uh, Woodrow, he says, uh, we're enforcing the 55 mile an hour speed limit. He goes, uh, what you going so fast for? He goes, uh, well, sir, we're wrestlers and we're going to go, we have to do a TV in Kansas city. And then the guy goes, you're kidding me. Aren't you there? Woodrow? He goes, what kind of wrestling you doing? He goes, I'm a professional wrestler, sir. So he looked at Woody and, uh, he said, step out beside the car there, Woodrow. And he kept calling him Woodrow. And he's looking at Woody. Woody, Woody did not look like Paul Ellering at the time. So <laughs> to make a long story short, he goes, you know, as you do that fake wrestling, don't you? And he goes, well, officer, it's not fake. And uh, he goes, Woodrow, now, and, 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 and we're running late. We had to beat uh, Kansas City by, I don't know, like, seven o'clock as you were taping TV, like nine in the morning. And so this idiot is standing out there, you know, justifying why wrestling is real. And a cop is saying, no one, I said, officer, you're right. It, it, it's fixed. We, we, we're, we were running late. We have to get to the TV studio and Woody had just gotten his license back and he would have got it. I don't know if it was suspended or something like that, but, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. And then, and then that story with, with, uh, him, when he, when he slapped me so hard on the chest, what happened was 
that's when you bought that pomegranate juice and you were giving us the virtues of pomegranate juice, telling us about that. And you had a great t-shirt on. And when I was driving, I'd look out the rearview mirror and every time you took a swig, I hit the brakes and your, your gray shirt was purple. So then you got me back and you shot me. And then like, I got a lot forward. I don't know who was in front of me, but I almost scratched his eyes out. And it was, it was absolutely hilarious. Some better stuff like that. I mean, most of the best stories didn't happen in the ring. They happened going to and from the shows. Because mm-hmm. unlike today where when the kids travel, they sit on their phone. We didn't have phones. Yep. So everything was about ribs. And mm-hmm. and we'd stop at the gas station and we'd get stuff. And Herman was the best because he would buy like a six-pack of beer, Slim Jims, pickled eggs, you know, uh, cheese, um, stinky cigars, and it was he was he was a piece of work. He was he was the funny one out of out of all that, you know. And then we'd have to open up the windows because our car stunk from after him eating all that <laughs> crap. Oh my! You're listening to the Rasslin' Memories then and now, and uh, I'm talking with uh, Tom Rocky Stone and Chris Curtis, and I like to bring in uh, Mike Richards into the conversation. Mike, uh, I know you've been sitting back enjoying some of these uh, memories, and I know maybe a few of those memories of your own with uh, Tom and uh, maybe Herman and uh, Woody and and Chris. I mean, this really must start to get the gears turning for you. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I remember a lot of times driving up to Mini that Stonewood. Because since we were in the car for so long, he would have us actually tell how a match should go, go over theory. So, I mean, a lot of times on these trips, that was what we were learning, I mean, more than we were learning in the ring, just because we had six hours to just sit there and pick his brain or pick Chris's brain or whoever was in the car that was more experienced than we were. So it was it was pretty cool. And, and like Chris said, Herman was and is a piece of work. I mean, he's a great guy, but he is, he is definitely dances to his own uh, beat of a drum. I remember when he was taking me out to Jake's, he picked me up after work in his convertible car. And this is, this is not an exaggeration where I sat in the passenger seat. There was no floor floor at all. So you had to make sure you kept your feet up while you were driving. Otherwise you would, your feet would probably literally get ripped off because there was a hole. <laughs> so you were driving on 60 mile an hour roads with a big hole that I could just see the street zooming by me as I'm dri- as a passenger. It was crazy. Sort of your uh, initiation uh, into the business is, uh, of course, all of the traveling and not only learning, but uh, just dealing with characters. And, of course, pro wrestling never has a shortage of those. But, uh, you know, you, you showed you, you earlier on, you talked about when we introduced you, your appreciation for Tom. I mean, uh, Tom, like, uh, you know, yourself, like Chris, uh, very, very grateful for uh, getting you set up with the, these AWA tapings. But, man, I just the times that you guys must have spent in the car, I mean, just mentioning uh, Herman Schaefer. I mean, was there any other characters that kind of came to mind that you got that you might Mike, Mike that you can remember uh traveling with that that kind of stand out and uh, maybe a story or two uh you guys heading down to the tapings i mean everyone was a character i remember one time frank defalco was driving and uh he had his window open and was talking about how nice it was outside and as he was saying that a hornet flew into the window <laughs> and stung him right under the eye and he, we didn't know what was going on in the back seat. We just saw him looking in the rear view mirror, screaming. I thought an alien was going to bust out of his stomach or something. And he's going all over the road. And we're going, what the hell is going on? And then finally I see him pull this, this, this hornet off his eye <laughs> out the window. And then he gets out of the car and he's staggering around. That was a, uh, it could have happened to a better person. That was awesome actually. But yeah, that, that was a, a good story for sure. 
Uh-huh. And uh, Chris, uh, what do you remember from uh, you know, your first uh, time that you, you, you met Mike and, and started doing some of the, the, the tapings uh, with him as well? Yeah, it was at Federation Hall, right? Yeah, I came in because uh, Herman told me to come in and help set the ring up, and he'd get in there with me. It was the first time I'd ever been anywhere around any of you guys. And, of course, as soon as I walked in, I recognized you um, from TV. And then, yeah, we just helped get the ring, and then you guys were – that's how that's how that part started. And I remember that um, you were about, what, 160 pounds or 170 pounds, and, and I remember yeah. you, you said you would eat like a loaf of bread a day, a jar of peanut butter, and a, and a gallon of milk to gain weight. Yeah, I was even drinking Simulac. I was obsessed with gaining weight so I could <laughs> eventually do TV. So, yeah, I was pretty skinny at the time. Thank- thankfully, you guys uh, still took the time yeah, to me going. Yeah, and then you got a lot bigger and stronger. And and, um, and that's the thing about about Mike Glenn. He, he learned the fundamentals really good. Um, and uh, look where his career turned out. When he became the Texas hangman, he traveled all. He went to Japan and and Puerto Rico and, and, uh, you know, um, I can't remember if you guys had the tag straps for, for Vern, but I mean, we went to do Pat Sajak. That was, that That was was probably one of the highlights of our, our careers. I think it was, I mean, it was fantastic doing something like Mm -hmm. that. That was really cool. Now, you know, another, um, funny road story. This is, this is crazy, but, um, and then, and then in Minneapolis, the same day, I, I went up with, uh, Cesar Paban and Armando Rodriguez, and I was working third shift the night before the hospital and security. And I fell asleep in the car and, uh, in the back seat. And I woke up a couple hours later and they had all the windows open and I woke up and I go, God, it's freezing here. I go, what do you got the windows open for? And, uh, and and Rod says, Chris, Chris, you stink. He goes, What did you eat last night? Go, oh God, I'm sorry. I said, Oh, yeah, the windows open. They go about an hour. And so uh, then then we went up there, and I don't know if you remember Rod, but Rod was bald on top, and he had hair on the side. He wore a toupee that day to TV, and he wrestled Nick. And Nick got him in the corner, and he he grabbed the top of his hair, the toupee, and he let go, and it flopped around like he had a dead crow on his head. And then he eventually pulled it off and kicked it over by Heenan. And he was so upset because he had that thing weaved in on the side of his hair, and he had to take it home. And, oh, my God, it was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. You know, in 1983, you guys uh, were all, you know, basically working AWA. So you were right kind of in the thick of uh, uh, of Hulk Hogan's run and how, uh, you know, the AWA, how it, you, you were there basically pre-Hogan, Hogan, and post-Hogan. So you kind of all had a taste of what, what the whole impact Hulk Hogan had uh, on Vern's company. And you guys all had did some in-ring work with him. Uh, most notably, uh, Mike, you and, uh, you and Stone worked a handicap match. But what can you remember just about the aura of having with Hulk Hogan around and, and what that was like during those, those years and months where it did get quite big and things started to get real popular. But then at the same time, they fell apart real fast for the company. That was actually one of my first TV tapings. It was me and stone against Hogan. And, uh, I mean, mostly stone was in there. Cause I was new. 
but it was cool. But at the time, we didn't know the impact that he'd have. He was just kind of like just a big. I mean, there were so many big guys for Vern back then. It didn't really seem like he was any different than anyone else, at least to me. And then I ended up working him at the Chase in St. Louis, and a singles match. And then at that point, he was a little later on. I, you kind of knew that this guy was going to be something big. But to me, it didn't seem like he was any different than any of the other guys at that time because there's so many big names there. Well, you know, one of the problems with Hulk was. Vern didn't really want to push him all the way because he wasn't an amateur wrestler. That's one of the reasons Vern didn't want to give him the strap. I think a lot of us were more in awe of the guys like Ray Stevens uh, than we and Mad Dog than we were of Hulk when he came in to work for the AWA. I agree. I mean, I, I don't know about too. Mike. I don't know about Mike and Chris, but Ray Stevens was considered by all of the wrestlers at that time, the greatest wrestler ever to be in the ring. Nick would way tell you that. Ray would tell you that. And I personally was way more in awe of Ray than I was of Hulk. Stone, did you get to work Ray ever? Uh, yes. I worked him three or four times. Nice. He was nice. a blast. Oh, I bet. I uh, That's awesome. Just, he worked so light and uh, he wasn't afraid to sell for the job guys, so you could actually have a match. Nick was like that too. I mean, he. Yeah. I worked Nick twice, and and I and I was able to to find a, a match of mine on YouTube. Um, and and there's a match of you and Nick on YouTube too. Um, yeah, Nick would let you he, actually cover him, and he yeah. would kick out, uh, which would drive Vern nuts. Uh, it's the same thing when I gave Brunzel a pile driver on TV. Uh, <laughs> Vern was not a happy camper and was going around saying, who am I paying to put over? Uh, Chris, I think a lot of the guys up there, they did work with our guys a lot more than they did with other guys because our guys didn't know how to work. Right. They were a lot more willing to sell a little bit for us on TV uh, yeah. just because they knew they weren't going to get hurt and we knew what the hell we were doing. You know, yeah, I, I counted forget. like, yeah, when I counted, I, I worked Greg Gagne, I, I, between him and Brunzel 16 times. And every time I worked Greg, it was, it was great when you could work guys like him, Olsenowski, you know, zoom up those kind of guys, Tito, because you could actually wrestle as opposed to getting up there and, and, you know, just selling and, and getting thrown around, they, you could actually have a decent match for about five or six minutes. And then they, they make their little comeback, get a little heat on them. And then they make their comeback. But for the most part, you could wrestle them. And then that would not only help you, but it'll make the program a lot better too. Hey, Chris, what about when you wrestled Billy Robinson? I remember you taking that backbreaker and screaming. Like, I don't remember. Was he rough on you? Or was that were you just, you know, selling? I don't no, know, but I remember he, you having a good match with him. He, the first time I went up there in 79 and I had him, um, he he really tried to hurt me. He kind of initiated. He, he kind of changed things. We know we talked about what we were going to do, and he changed it up a little bit. And uh, he gave me that backbreaker, which is like, it looks so vicious. Um, and then he put me in a Boston crab, you know, and I submitted, but the time after that in, um, about four years later, um, I had him and, um, he, I believe, 
this was an 83 and I think Tom would know that they turned, I don't know if he would, they turned him heel back then or what, he was, but he wasn't a heel yet in 83. No, no. Okay. I, remember, I remember he, he did turn heel. heel. Yeah. Yeah. But, I he, worked him. but he had Chris in a two out of three fall match that they actually stopped after the first fall. Yeah. Well, he, 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 he beat the hell out of me. He was beating yeah. the crap out of you. And, oh, and it was wow. a shoot. Yes, it was a shoot. And um, wow. I have no idea why, but I went back in the upstairs because the old Channel 11, and you could see. And I went up to Wally and I said, you know, this is BS. So I don't need this crap. I said, you know, why did, why did they do it? And, be, and even before the match, I went up to Nick and Ray and I asked him, I said, I, I got Billy, two out of three. Um, what do I do? And he just said, just listen to him. And I did. He was really nice before. I thought, well, this will be, this will work out really good. And then the next thing you know, he beat the crap out of me. And then I, you know, and then Nick came up to me and he said, don't worry about it. He said, that's your initiation. He was just testing you. Don't go, don't, don't leave. And is there another 10 years? So, and four years later I had him and, um, I said, Hey, Billy, remember me? And he goes, yeah. He goes, you want revenge on me tonight? And I go, no, just want a good match. And he gave me most of the match and he gave me the, you know, his backbreaker and I sold the hell out of it and he didn't hurt me. He was good to me. So, yeah. Well, I I can tell you, let me tell you guys a little Billy Robinson story. This is after he turned heel. I actually had him in Rockford and on the way to the ring, Jake was actually there with me. And on the way, way to the ring, I stopped and I stopped at Billy and I said, Billy, I got to ask you a question. I said, how come when you were a baby face, you were such a jerk? I didn't use the word jerk, but for the <laughs> radio here, I'll use jerk. And I didn't wait for an answer. I went right to the ring. And Billy Robinson that night made me look like Billy Robinson. Wow. I, I, he let me throw him from pillar to post uh, for 20 minutes before he ended up beating me. Uh, mm-hmm. Had no idea what he was going to do after I said that. Uh, <laughs> you know never the, talked to him you, after either, but... You know, the thing is... No is idea, that, but he made me look like the greatest wrestler who ever put on a pair of boots. Yeah. I don't know if you ever worked him, Mike, but he he was so fast that yeah, he, he could do stuff before... He, 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 he could You could just be standing there and the next thing you know, he's behind you and he's got you in something or he's got you locked up in something. He was so quick. It was, it was, he was the prelude to MMA. He was just, he was just unbelievable. He was, yeah, he was one I, never, of a kind. I never got him. I'm actually glad I didn't because I, I, there was enough other stiff guys out there that, to deal with besides Billy. So he was a little bit kind of before my time. I, I caught him just at the end. Yeah. Um, but then there was other guys like Chris, did you, I know stone. I know you got the story about Kevin Kelly, Chris, did you ever have the unpleasure of working Kevin Kelly? No, but I, I got a funny, I got a, I got a good one, um, about a Kevin Kelly. <clears throat> I think, I think Steve was, they had a, an arm wrestling thing. We were in Las Vegas okay. and then and Wahoo remember Wahoo was running TV. Wahoo told Kelly to do something and Kelly just did what he wanted to do. He wasn't supposed to do something. Wahoo was so ticked off. He goes, I don't care if that so-and-so was a tough man, uh, winner or where he was. 
he said, I'm, he goes, when he comes back here, I'm going to beat the living crap out of him. He was so upset because he, I don't know if he was smart or not, but he just did whatever he wanted to do. And Wahoo was really, really upset because he went against what he was told to do. Well, I can, I can believe Wahoo could have held his own against him too. Cause he was a tough dude too. Huh. Yeah. Stone, you had the first, was, was it his first match that you had with him? I just remembered that you said yes, he wasn't first match up or was something. in Milwaukee. It was Brad Riggins. They teamed, they put me as a baby face with Brad against Steve Regal and him. And, uh, on the way out, Vern says, don't talk to him. We haven't smartened him up yet. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, that's so good. That I'm thinking crazy. to myself, so I went out in the ring and I talked to him the whole match. Came back to the dressing room and Vern says, you didn't talk to him, did you? I said, I didn't say one word to him. As I turned <laughs> around and walked away, I said, I said a hundred or 200 words to him. I didn't let Vern hear that. Uh, <laughs> but why wouldn't they smarten him up? Just you know the way Vern they did was. Things. Vern was so ridiculous with the kayfabe. I remember even at the, in the end years, we were doing uh, the hangman. Literally, one time we got caught, we were going over a match, and a janitor was in back doing something, and he reamed us out saying we should have went to a closet or something. Don't let this janitor see you guys talking about the match. I mean, this was at the end of the AWA, right? Then everyone was pretty much knew what was going on anyways. He was the ultimate kayfabe guy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the business was better with kayfabe. It was. Oh, God. It was. That's how you drew money. Yeah. Agreed. Now that it's not kayfabe, it's all crap. It's all let's do everything we can do. And if you're not going through 14 tables in a match, the fans don't even care. Well, Back that's the day, I mean, they, they shoot you out of a... They hated you, or they liked the other guy. Mm-hmm. It's terrible now, but it's just my opinion. No, it makes I mean, more is definitely not better than less sometimes. I mean, back in the day, people would pop for a schoolboy. Nowadays, I mean, like you said, I mean, I've seen guys, you know, you see guys do 100 spots, and the fans are sitting on their hands. And then a guy who actually comes out and actually does try to get some heat and actually try to work the crowd and actually try to do some wrestling and they usually get a better reaction. It's 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 just a different whole different thing today. When when like, you can get heat on a guy when you can get heat on a guy way back when when we all when the three of us wrestled and you're in a house show and uh even in the opener and you got a guy in a in a you know in a in a headlock or a reverse headlock and he starts to fight up and then you pretend like you're getting your hair pulled and, and the referee goes around and you pull the, the guy back down by the trunks or the, or the hair, and you can get seven or eight minutes with that, and the people are, like, going crazy, that's how you worked. Mm-hmm. That's real working. Chris, I remember actually being a fan, sitting in the audience, and, and you wrestled Adrian Adonis in Milwaukee, and you guys had a great match, and the people were big time into it, and we didn't, nobody even knew who Adrian Adonis was at the time. Yeah, it was, it was his first night in the territory in Milwaukee, and um, he uh, he was a babyface. And I think yep. he, I think I think Jesse got him in because they were both out in Portland together. But here, you know, the funny thing about that was was that I was just walking up with the uh, my my buddy who wrote helped write co wrote this book, and we were going up State Street, and my mom is running down state street with my wrestling bag 
and my, my youngest brother and his buddy, and they go, she says, Chris, Chris, Wally Carbo called, you got to wrestle tonight. So then I brought, wow. you know, then we, we went into the, to the back of the auditorium. We got him in. Adrian had a spinning toe hold. He was working my leg. My mom yep. was like in the third or fourth row and she was screaming, leave his, le- leave his knees alone. He's got bad knees. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God. So Adrian leans over and, and there's actually a picture in, in the first book, but Adrian leans over and goes, who is that? And I go, that's my mom. And he goes, you're kidding. And I go, no. And I said, no, really crank it up. And so he, he was really putting the, you know, the, he was working the leg and everything. And I was like pulling my hair. Gadaski was the referee. I'm reaching for George's leg and I'm, and I'm reaching out. I could see my mom. I'm reaching out to her and I go, Oh my God, I'm never going to walk again. He's killing me. She's going out of her mind. I almost had to take her out because I was selling the hell out of it. She was so ticked off. It was great. I could have got an Academy Award that night. <laughs> Oh, well, you're listening to Wrestling Memories then and now. I'm just sitting back enjoying the conversation, guys. Uh, this week we're talking. Uh, I'm letting the guys do the talking here. Tom Rocky Stone, Chris Curtis, and Mike Richards. And uh, you, you mentioned uh, a, a little bit about uh, Vern, of course, Vern Gagne and his partner, uh, Wally Carbo. And uh, Chris, the last time we got together, uh, you shared uh, some Wally Carbo memories. I just wonder if, if the other guys, if Mike and, and uh, Stone have any memories of uh, Wally Carbo that they want to share there. Uh, on the humorous side or on the, the notable side. And I'll start off with Mike first. Uh, Mike, what can you remember of Wally and especially the uh, Wally Vern dynamic? You know, to be honest with you, that when I was there, I mean, by that time, I mean, Wally wasn't around as much. And so I didn't really have as much exposure to him. I mean, I heard a lot of good things about him, but I had never had that much exposure to him like, like the other guys did. I would imagine Tom would definitely have a lot more insight on that than I did. Well, all I can tell you is the way the AWA office was run with Wally and Vern and Greg is you could never get a straight answer. Whoever you <laughs> called up there, and I, I probably talked to the office more than Greg or uh, Mike or Chris, uh, you'd call and whoever you talked to, if you talked to Greg, you said, oh, you got to talk to Dad about that. If you talked to Vern, <laughs> Vern would say, oh, Wally handles that. Uh, <laughs> the guy you had to talk to was never in the office. Uh, Wally, I, the only real things I ever talked to Wally about is he'd call to give me bookings. Uh, so I really don't have any Wally Carbo stories. Go I got one that was, it was, it was actually kind of funny and Wally wasn't even there, but, uh, we were, we were doing TV and, uh, you were probably, I don't know if you were up there, Tom or, or not, but, um, Lanza was booking book TV that night and he called the guys and there was, there was about four guys that came in that worked for Geigel and, and one of them was a cop and there was a tag match and Vern was there and the match was horrible. These guys were just, they don't, they, they would only let him wrestle once and, and the cop was, it was just so bad. So Vern, um, he, he, the guys came back there and he really laid into him. He goes, where the hell did you guys come from? And he said, we work for Geigel. He said, are you kidding me? And so he said, I don't ever want to see you again. You guys are the, you know, what's, 
And uh, so the cop says, you can't talk to me. I'm a police officer. And Vern says, oh, really? He goes, this is my show. He said, um, I'll do, you know, I will kick your butt. And he didn't use those terms, but I will kick your butt right here and now. Get your stuff and get the hell out of here. <laughs> wow. So he made him pack up after the first and they were gone. So <laughs> he was so upset. He goes to, to Lanza. He says, Jack, he goes, who the heck booked these guys? And he didn't use that word. And Lanza goes, uh, Wally did. <laughs> Wally, <laughs> Wally did not book him. Lanza did. And he goes, where the heck is Wally? And he goes, I don't know. He goes, uh, he goes, Wally, he, he's yelling for Wally and Wally's not even there. And he goes, well, he's, he's not here, <laughs> but he, but he, but Lanza blamed it on Wally because if he told him that he did it, he was probably going to beat up Lanza right there. But it was, <laughs> it was absolutely hilarious because Wally always got heat with Vern when something wrong would happen. Mike, I have a question I'm going to bring in uh, as we're getting closer to finishing up the conversation here on this edition of Wrestling Memories mm-hmm. then and now, and you kind of teased it a little bit earlier with uh, with Chris. Uh, I want to talk, uh, have you, you guys tell the story, and I'll let you kind of start it off, and then Chris will, will finish up on how the heck you guys got booked on Pat Sajak. I watched the clip, which was hilarious. What what went into that? And talk about the actual segment itself, because it is it's available. You can find it online, but how the heck did you guys find yourself into this situation on uh network television late night well if i remember correctly um there was an article in the, in the milwaukee journal about the school that stone and chris were running um on lincoln avenue and they contacted stone saying that they wanted to do a wrestling segment on pat sajak and he didn't want to go because he didn't want to get any heat with Vern because Vern was so old school we even had to be careful about the indies we were doing on fed hall because if he found out he'd be upset anyways long story short uh, Chris and I got the opportunity to go then. And, uh, I remember the things I remember about it is Chris had to bring gear because Pat didn't have any gear and he, they wanted him to be in tights and things like that. And then I just remember we, they flew us out there. They put us up in a nice hotel. Uh, we got to do some touristy things and the show was great. And I mean, the ring was as hard as the ring I've ever been in, but, um, I thought it went great. Didn't you think it was pretty good, Chris? It was, it was fantastic. They treated us like a million bucks. Um, you know what? It was funny because I got a call, um, from the producer of the Sage of, of the Sajak show. And I remember her name was Julie or something. And, and she goes, hi, this is Julie from the Pat Sajak show. And I said, yeah, right. And I hung up on her. <laughs> and then she, and then I was in the kitchen with my wife. We we're making dinner or something like that. And, and, uh, she goes, who is that? I go, somebody said that she's from the Pat Sajak show. So she, about a minute later, I, she calls back. She goes, please, please don't hang up on me. And then she talked to me and, and that's, that's how it was. But yeah, that it, it, it was, it was a great experience. Um, Mike and I, we worked a lot of, you know, a little thing and, and, uh, God, that ring was, it was like working on concrete. Was, I mean, I didn't think St. Louis was too bad. It was just a suspension ring, but this, I could barely walk when I got back home, but it was funny because that was probably the best arm drag I ever took. But then we started getting like, we started getting, I was getting heat with them and, and, uh, we were kind of going at it a little bit and, and, uh, we made it look really good. Like 
I was really ticked off at Mike cause he was getting the better of me. Cause he was, you know, he was, uh, he was kind of outclassing me and everything. And, and, uh, and, and, and it was weird. We had no idea how long we were going. So it was like, we were kind of just out there on live TV, just winging it. I mean, it was, it, that was, that was, that was crazy. But I thought at the end of what the airplane spin and him actually being willing to take it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, the, they just said, just be really, really careful with him. I mean, he was 130 pounds soaking wet, you know, and then I just, I put him in the airplane spin and I just dropped to my knees and I just, you know, kind of like gingerly laid him on the mat and it, it was, it, it was all good. It, it worked out really well. Made us good. Yeah. 550 bucks at that time was a lot of money. How just come I didn't that? get my booking fee? You should have got a booking fee, actually. You guys owe me a booking fee for that. <laughs> Heck, if, if if we paid for all the bookings you got us, we'd uh we, we'd be broken. You'd be rich, that's for sure. <laughs> we'd be wrestling for free. You ain't kidding. Hey, you know another thing, Stone did. did. Stone, didn't you um didn't you have a th- thing that you told Vern? I I don't think I remember this. Didn't you say that that you would never work the roadways, and it was kind of an issue with that? Yes. When they first came in, I called Greg the week I knew they were coming in because we were going to be in, I think we were taping in Hammond. And I called uh, Greg and said, I won't work with them. And when the taping was over, Animal came up to me and said, who the hell do you think you are not working with us? I said, I'm a guy who's got a job on Monday, and I'm not getting hurt. And about five years later, when they came in New York, the first show, I saw my name on the board against Legion of Doom, I went to Animal and said, Animal, you got your chance today. And Animal <laughs> said, ah, hell, you were smart not working with us then. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. <laughs> wow. Which was certainly true because when they came in here, when they'd wrestle Crusher and Bruiser, they would take these two guys who were 60 years old or better at the time and be body slamming them. And it was just, they had no clue how to wrestle. Yeah, well, they, I was at dangerous. that show in Milwaukee. I was at that show in Milwaukee where where uh, Hawk press slammed Bruiser, and I thought, <laughs> "Oh my God, he's going to kill this eighty year old man." I mean, <laughs> that was insane. People were like in shock when when they saw that. Those yeah, because were, no one had ever touched intense. those guys. Yeah, Crusher yeah, didn't take any bumps for the last ten years. No. Okay, and, you know, that's only Anderson's fault for letting those guys, you know, and, and you really couldn't blame the Road Warriors when they first came out because when I saw them on TV, I thought if if they ever, if, if I was ever in an area where they were at and I had to work them, I'd say, no way, absolutely not. They didn't know any better. They were just doing what the office told them to do. Right. And told them just to go beat, out there and kill the, guys. Beat the job guys up. Yeah. That's exactly what Oli told them. Mm-hmm. Mike, I got a question for you though. You talk about guys, uh, you know, that, that worked a bit stiff and a bit green. Uh, I, I think about the AWA and I think about the Showboat era. I think about one one of the personalities that uh, didn't quite jive and and was kind of looked downright dangerous in, in some of the matches uh, was Rocky Mountain Thunder. Yeah, that guy was a just a big. Vern was always a mark for all the big guys, and that guy was just big and he was clumsy. And he, I mean, I. I I'm lucky to get out of that match alive. I mean, honestly, he was just, he was, he was terrible. I don't even know if he was fully trained, but he was big and, and burned like that. I mean, it was, and then there was Kevin Kelly who hurt me so bad to this day. I can't even lift my right arm up all the way. I mean, 
and then the, and the bad thing about working at the showboat was we'd all have to meet in the hotel room earlier in the day. And I mean, you'd have like 60 guys in the room and they'd go over everything as far as who's working who, but you didn't really have a lot of time to talk about your matches. So then when you'd get to the building, the only time you could even talk to the other guy because the dressing rooms were separate faces and heels, you'd have to actually pick up the phone and talk to the operator at the showboat who would have to transfer the phone over to the heel side. And then you'd have to ask for who you're working. So I mean, it was just a ridiculous setup. So a lot of times you went out there and you didn't really have anything planned except for getting a beaten. That was it. Chris, what do you remember of the showboat? You know, it's funny that Mike mentioned that because I, it's like, he's got a great photographic memory. Um, my, my best time I ever had at the showboat was, uh, I wrestled Larry Zabisco and, um, Larry, he actually had Olsonowski in his corner. Um, he had, a, he was wearing a hood. He wore, he was Mr. Go or something like that. And, but, um, <laughs> I, I hated, I hated going upside down. I hated taking a, a suplex. And <laughs> so, um, I really did. So Larry, during our match, Larry went to suplex me. Well, I didn't go up all the way. So what I did was I stepped, I, I, uh, stepped forward a little bit and I reversed the suplex and he was kicking his feet in the air while I was going up and then boom, down he went. And he sold it for me, and I shook my head while I was sitting there, and I got up, and I wound up, and I gave him, like, a big punch, and he sold the heck out of it, got it in the corner. I went to turnbuckle, and I said, you know, kick me. And I, I bum-rushed him, and boom, he nailed me. And, you know, it, it, was, it, it was great because he, he would sell the heck out of it for you. The showboat was fun. Um, going out to Las Vegas, it was, it was, it was super neat. I mean, they'd fly us out there, you know, they pay us and, and, uh, you know, it was, it was great. But like Mike said, we'd, we'd get into this big room and, you know, they'd, uh, tell us who we're going to work and, and everything. And but I, I completely forgot all that. And, and, and he was right. You know, you had to call the, the baby face, <laughs> had to call the heel dressing room. Hi, uh, can I, can I, <laughs> Can I speak to Wahoo? Hey, Wahoo, <laughs> what are we doing tonight? He goes, I'm just going to chop the hell out of you. What do you think? I wouldn't even bother calling Wahoo because it's like, what's the point? I knew what the finish was going to be. <laughs> so, I never had to worry about something like that. Mine was just easy. And, yeah. yeah, the showboat was definitely a fun place. I liked it a lot more than uh, doing the tapings in Rochester for sure later on silver was probably the best ones but i also like going down to st louis was, i mean when you got to spoke to kansas city too which was cool doing the kansas city territory was always neat to do that you actually got me booked to kansas city because of bringing me down there to do that battle row yeah kansas city was fun they didn't make any money though no even though I mean, ten, no. even though 10 years earlier the guys on top were making 200 grand a year working there well, you and Chris, you and Chris were in Mid South. Were you guys making any decent coin there? Uh, I don't know what Chris was making, but uh, now this is eighty-one or eighty. I was making uh, six hundred bucks a week. That's pretty good for that time. Which, yeah. if you looked at it today, that's seventy-five grand a year. You know, I mean, I, or better. I at the probably, time it was decent because you could get a hotel room for seven bucks. Wow. 
know. I think my best uh, week was 300. That was it. And those were long you trips, know. weren't they? No. Oh, no. They I were, thought, uh, I, I long trips. short. We lived in Baton Rouge. New Orleans was, was an hour. Uh, Shreveport was three hours. Uh, Jackson was two and a half hours. So they weren't... We When we were there, they weren't running the Oklahoma Territory. It was just uh-huh. Louisiana and uh, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And then after we booking? left, they bought uh, they bought McGurk out. And then they were running like four states. Then it was a terrible territory. Ah, gotcha. We were home every night. Yeah. Wow. The only night that we that we stayed over was when um, we did TV on Saturday in Shreveport. You know, they they always ran the house show Friday night. And we stayed over. Yeah. And then the next Sometimes day we did we TV. Sometimes we used to stay morning. over in Jackson because we'd go up to Greenville and Greenwood on Thursday. But mm-hmm. uh, it was basically you were home every night. And then you get four guys in a room and it, it, it was nothing. Well, guys, it looks like our time limit, uh, the timekeeper's giving me the old stink eye. We've made it to a, a Broadway <laughs> here on this edition of Rasslin' Memories then and now. And uh, this, I, I definitely think that uh, we've opened a door here. We can, you know, if you guys ever want to do this again sometime in, in 2020, I mean, we could do it with you guys or we could switch it up a little bit and have other guys in too to share their memories. But you guys, uh, Tom Stone, uh, Chris Curtis, and, and Mike Richards, I think, I mean, you guys went above and beyond. Thank you so much. Welcome. I was glad to do it. Yeah, Yeah, it was fun. It was great talking to the guys. And uh, again, it was, there's so much more to to talk about that we could be on for another hour. Easy. Oh yeah. I I don't think that would be any problem, but yeah, we'll uh, definitely have to, uh, before we get on uh, the next time, we'll have to uh, work out a few uh, segments and stuff. And, you know, we kind of just kind of sank or swim today. And I think this this turned out wonderful. So now that we are kind of on the trail, we'll, we'll definitely have to get some focus and you guys have any memories you want to share. I mean, remember them, write them down, scratch them down, whatever the hell you want to do. It's just good talking wrestling with you guys. It's good talking to you you so much. Well, anyway, we're going to wrap up. Uh, it's been wonderful. I think uh, Tom Rocky Stone, I think Chris Curtis, and I think Mike Richards. And we will be back once again with another edition of Rasslin' Memories Then and Now. I'm Glenn Broggett. So long.